us will be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to try to talk to you this morning about the purpose of Hebrews, and it's really to bring a contrast to us about the Christian life. It's the difference between a picture of somebody and the actual person. That's the contrast that Hebrews tries to bring out. Uh, a distinction between the shell of Christianity and the meat of Christianity. A shadow as uh, contrasted with substance. We want to determine things in the book of Hebrews that are correct for us. And so the book certainly brings out the meaning of Christianity, and it helps you to decide where you stand with Christ as you read through the book of Hebrews. It is a great exercise to read through it and understand uh, what God is trying to tell you. There are too many people today that are concerned with the external practice of Christianity and not the dynamic power that is within it. When I say the external activity, I mean going to church or giving a tithe or singing songs, or doing deeds of goodness that you think are pleasing to God, sacrificing some things to God, for instance. Those are all external things of Christianity. God is more concerned with the internal thing of Christianity. That's you. That's your heart. That's your spirit. Today we're going to learn about that. We're going to uh, perhaps be able to show you where you stand this morning in Christ. Are you externally a Christian or are you internally a Christian? There is a difference. It is a uh, eternal difference, I want you to know. And so let's stand together and let's read Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 9. The Bible says there, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not taken pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will, to take away... He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Let's pray together. Father, give us your wisdom as we uh, discern what these words mean to us and what you're trying to tell us through these words. I pray today, Father, that your will is done in this place. I pray that you show us the importance of telling the good news to all around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.
You know, Christianity is not something that you do for your country. It's not something that you do for your home. It's not something you do for your city, for yourself, or even for God. Let me say that again. Christianity is not something you do for God. Christianity is something that God does in you. Christianity is something that God does for you. So don't think that you're going to be pleasing to God by doing for God, by showing up for God, by exercising for God, by doing different deeds of religious activity for God. Christianity is God doing something for you, my friend, not you doing something for God. We were just in chapter 4 a few weeks ago talking about the rest of God, the resting place. We found there that Christianity is not you and I working towards it. It is arriving in it where God does the work. You and I rest and we cease from working towards it because we have arrived in it because God has moved in to our life. Understand that it's vital for you to know that Christianity is God living in you. Not you imitating religious things to be Christian. You'll never make it. You'll never make it to where you please God enough by imitating Christianity so that you can get into heaven. It doesn't work that way. It's opening the heart, opening the door of your heart, allowing the creator of the universe, as Nathan often tells us, to move in to us, to dwell in us, to, to live within us. And so uh, Christianity is not rule keeping. And some reason we have this philosophy of life that we Arrive to Christ by keeping the rules. I had that up there. Come on, computer. Oh, wait. That's way too far. Hey, Colton, put that on the second slide, please. So Christianity is not you and I keeping the rules, even though we have a tendency to, to do that. We want to have rules to keep. We want to behave according to an outline or a, or a program. But, but that's not Christianity. You don't gain it by keeping rules or you don't gain it by not doing certain things. Humanity is like a person who falls into a well. All right? And he's down in the well and he's screaming for help. And a passerby comes by the well and hears someone calling for help. And he looks down in the well and he sees a man down there. And so he takes a piece of paper out. And he takes a pen and he writes and scribbles on this piece of paper. And then he drops it down into the well. And the man in the well catches the paper before it hits the water and he turns to read it and it says, Ten rules for not falling into a well. <laughs> and the guy says, Great. That's what the Ten Commandments are for you and I. It's God's way of keeping you clean, the Ten Commandments. But we don't realize that until we're already dirty. The Ten Commandments can't make me clean. That information on that paper, Ten Rules How Not to Fall in a Well, cannot help the man that's in the well. Right? 
So God comes along and he drops a rope to us. And that rope is Jesus. And we get a hold of that rope and we find that Jesus is not only the rope, he is the winch that pulls us up out of the well. And we get up out of the well and then we discover that Jesus is also the guide to keep us from falling back into the well. That's what happens to man with rule keeping, with the Ten Commandments even. You can't get clean by keeping them because you're already dirty. And so there is something we have to learn about this. Hebrews is the teaching of us to us about how God wants to work and what God wants to do in our life. How He wants to help us, how He wants to secure us, how He wants to save us. Our text is not about rule keeping. Jesus did not say, you will know the rules and be bound by them. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's what Christianity is about, knowing the truth. So God is not about rule keeping. He's not about rituals. He's not about candles. He's not about prayer journals. He's not about singing different songs. He's not about ceremony. What is God after? What does God want if He doesn't want those things? He wants this in you. He wants your heart. That's all He's after. Because when He has that, He has the whole man. When He has that... He has the whole woman. So he's not after about what you can do for him. He's after about you personally in a relationship with him. That is what God is after. That's what he wants. He wants a life that is available to him. Now, isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1 on the screen? It says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Christianity in the nutshell, present your body to God. That's what God's after. Look what it says here in our text. It says in verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So God said through Jesus in the writings of the Old Testament, I'm not interested in your sacrifices and your offerings. So He's saying to you this morning, sitting in this room, I'm not interested in your sacrifices and your offerings. I want you. I don't want what you can do. I don't want your talents. I don't want your education. I don't want your drive or your will or your esteem or your lowly thoughts of yourself. I want you. That's it. Will you do that? You see... God prepared a body for Jesus to enter in. And Jesus surrendered that body to God, according to our text. So in like manner, God has prepared a body for you to live in. I look across this room and all of you look different. But if we were sitting here in spirit, I may not be able to tell you apart. But God prepared a body for you 
that has a spirit and a soul within it so that God could move in and make it distinct or make it different. Look in verse 10. He says, By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By what? By Jesus offering His body to the Lord, you and I can be sanctified. What does that word mean? It's a big church word, isn't it? And it, what it means is this, set aside for an intended purpose. Sanctified means to be holy or to be set apart. Well, sanctified goes a little further than set apart, and it means to be set apart for an intended purpose. So what's your intended purpose? In the eyes of God is for you to be set apart to Him. Now, you may have a different intended purpose for your life, and most of us do. And what we end up doing as Christians is we have to let go of that. My intended purpose for my life was not to be a preacher. My intended purpose for my life was maybe to become a Christian, but that's about all I wanted God to have. I wanted to be saved. I wanted to go to heaven. But God had an intended purpose for me. Just like He does for you. It's not just becoming a Christian. God wants to sanctify your life and give you fulfillment in living out the intended purpose that He has for you. And that's why I said most Christians are concerned about the external things of Christianity and not the internal things of Christianity. That's where the dynamics lie. That's where the power is. Not in the external, but in the internal where God dwells in our heart. And that's what God is after this morning, is He is after your heart. Sanctifying you to set you apart for an intended service. When a man adopts that outlook of Jesus, then he can offer his body to God. Paul said, present your bodies to God. Maybe you're sitting here today as a Christian, you've never done that. You've opened your heart and you, you believe God has moved in and He's dwelling in you, but, but that's as far as it's gone. You haven't given Him your body, your life. The intended purpose for you in God's plan. Do you think that's what Jesus meant when He said, He who seeks to find His life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You think that's what He meant? You better believe that's what He meant. If you are a Christian and you're looking for your own life and living your own life, you're going to lose, man. You're going to lose out. But if you give your life for the sake of Christ, you lay down your body for Him, you offer Him your heart and all that it entails, then you will find life. Think about it. That's what God wants to tell you this morning from our text. Now, to be content to lay down my life. To be content to lose position in this world. To lose the dreams and the goals that you have to take up the dreams and the goals that God has for you. And that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? 
It's a big step for a person to lay down their worldly life and goals and plans to take up God's life and goals and plans for them. But I promise you, you'll never regret it. And it is really the only life that there is. The other is called existence. Life is found in Christ and when Christ moves in and takes over. Now you say, preacher, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked me that. All right, let's look in verse 19. Skip on down to verse 19. It says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, and by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Two times we see there the word we have. All right, let's, let's look at what we have in our text. It says in verse 19, we have confidence to enter into the holy place. What does he say in there? Well, we can, uh, we can scratch the surface and say he's talking about when Moses built the tabernacle and uh, Moses was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, right? And, and, and then later when God established the priesthood through Aaron, then the priest would go into that Holy of Holies once a year to sacrifice for the sins of the people for that entire year. But you know what? We don't have a, we don't have a holy place to go in like that, do we? I mean, does anybody know of a tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant is and we can go in into the presence of God? Well, he's probably not referring to that then. And then we can take it to a picture type analogy and we can say, well, we get to enter into the throne room of God where God is. Now, now we could do that in our mind and perhaps uh, if we imagine enough through our spirit, but physically, in reality, we can't really even do that, enter into the throne room of God. So what does he mean that we have confidence to enter into the holy place? Well, where is the holy place? Well, let's, let's go on. It says we have confidence to enter into the holy place. And then it says in 21, we have a great high priest over the house of God. So the house of God, is that this church building? Now, oh, that's what he means. We can enter into church, the holy place. No. In, in um, Matthew, we learned that the holy place in Matthew was the temple where God dwelled in the holy of holies back in the Old Testament time. So we have confidence to enter this place, and we have a high priest who has entered this place. But where is this place? Where is this place, this holy place for you and I? I want you to hear me. It's in here. We are the house of God. Where does God dwell today? In Christians, in believers. The Spirit of God comes and dwells in the believer. Look with me on the screen. I'm going to quote to you on the screen from uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, from Hebrews. Uh, I've gotten ahead of myself a little bit. Let's go, come on. Right here is the high priest. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over God's house, whose house we are. 
Did you realize that? You are God's house. God dwells in you, Christian. And now you have confidence to even enter into the spiritual realm of yourself. That's where God has given you capability to enter. I know I'm getting weird on some of you, and and I'm not trying to. But what I'm saying is this. You are allowed now to enter a place that you have never gone before. Into the holy place, which is really within yourself, where God dwells. Why? Because now you have laid that down to Him. And He moves in and takes over. And now you can interact with God in the spiritual realm. You are a body, soul, and spirit. Amen? You are a body and a soul until you are born again and you are born spiritually. You understand that? Now, how do I know this? Because Jesus met a woman on a, at a well one day uh, going to Samaria. And the disciples went in to get something to eat. And as Jesus was uh, sitting with that woman, she asked him questions. And Jesus told her this. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. Did you realize that in the Old Testament, men could meet with God, and we read about some men meeting with God. Jacob, we read about him. Abraham, we read about him. But did you know in the New Testament, no one was really able to meet with God except through Christ, but only those who met with Him spiritually after Christ ascended. Now who meets with God? Nobody can do it physically, but we can do it spiritually. Because we have been born spiritually. You are a body, a soul, and when you are born again, you become a spiritual being. And now God moves in, and now you can enter into that fellowship with God that's within you, in your heart, in the holy of holies, in the spiritual realm of God. Let's go on. Just take that for what it is. And understand that God wants this relationship with you to worship Him in spirit. You don't worship Him necessarily physically. You can try, you can sing, you can do different deeds. But remember, He's not interested in your sacrifices and your offerings. Jesus said, God, you prepared a body for me. And I've I've taken over that body and now I'm laying it down for you. That's what God wants you to do to lay that body down for Him, to allow Him to be the Lord of your life and to move in to that. Christianity is not a weak attempt to imitate Christ. Christianity is Christ in you. Christianity is where Christ comes into your life and He meets you right where you are, in the circumstances that you are in. I met Christ in the middle of drug and alcohol addiction. Christ met me right where I was. I didn't clean up my life to meet Christ. He met me right where I was. And He's met you Christians right where you were. And then He orchestrated your life by you laying it down for Him. He orchestrated your life to put you where you are today. To build you up, to lift you up, to make you a part of the body of Aaron Springs. Christ has done all of these things for you. He meets you in your circumstances. This is ours to have. We have a come-alive spirit within us, and we have a great high priest who lives 
in us. Amen? That's what we have there in verse 19 and verse 20. Now let's go on. Because of that fact, because of that basis, we now can have some things that we are to do. There are three things that are listed here. And primarily, it is in verse 22, let us draw near to God. Because... He dwells in me because I can now enter into that spiritual relationship with God in my heart. Because of that, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, says, now draw near to Him. Amen? With confidence. Right? Draw near, I'm sorry, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. What does it mean to to draw near to God? To, To learn to walk in His presence. How many of you have ever started a new job and, and you had to have a week, a two, a month to, to learn the process, to, to have things rearranged in your thinking and your activity of how the new job works, what the new boss expects, how all of those things take place? Well, it's the same with God. The God of the universe moves into your heart. You have a process to go through. You've got to learn how to lay down your life and take up His And rearrange your schedule, your desires, your goals, your dreams. And God helps you through all of that. And so drawing near to Him is the process of that taking place. You draw near, you learn how to walk in the presence of God. He's in you now, my friend. When you go out on a date, guess who goes with you? When you go to a movie... Guess who's seating next to you? When you go to a restaurant, when you're uh, cut off by somebody in traffic, guess who's in the passenger seat with you? It's Him. He's there 24-7. You can't get away from it. And so you have to learn how that process works. And you have to learn how to, to let Him take over. It's a process of learning how to walk in the presence of God. Guess what? You don't come to church on Sunday morning and call it walking in the presence of God if you go out those doors and you don't do it at home. It's 24-7. You are not going to learn how to walk in the presence of God here if you're not walking in the presence of God at home, at work, or at school. Walking in the presence of God is a continual walking. You are no nearer to Him here than you are at home. Do you hear that? This is not God's house. You are God's house. And if you're not near Him at home, you're not going to be near Him in here either. So you have to learn how to lay down that body and let God have His way in your life. Draw near to God. Recognize His presence within you, in you. And when you do that, there are some results that come from it. What are they? Look in verse 22. Draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. In other words, you discover that God has an endless supply of the things that you need in your life. You no longer are dependent upon your talent, your gifts, your training, or your education. You now depend upon the power of God that is indwelling you, that has moved into your life. Some of you, this is going right over your head. Because you have not, you have not laid down your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You believe, you understand, you might even want to. 
but you just haven't done it. And so these results that I'm talking about are just going to go over your head. What you have to do is give Him all of it. Don't be afraid of Him calling you into service. Don't be afraid of what He might ask you to do. It's the real life that I'm talking about. It's living that I'm talking about. Not existing. Not just coming to church an hour a week. It's serving the Creator of the universe. It's giving Him His due Worship and do reward. It is you, my friend, that he's after. Not what you can do, but it is you that he's after. And so the result is that I depend upon God now. I'm prepared to meet any circumstance with full assurance of my trust in God. Let the devil throw at me what he may. I have full assurance that my Father will take care of me. And guess what? Dying ain't the worst thing to happen. Amen. Amen. If God desires to let Satan throw something at me and it takes my life, I'll wake up with my father at home. You understand that? Dying's not the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen is that you call yourself a Christian and you come to that death and you realize you were nothing of a Christian. You just had the words and the external activities, and nothing internal inside of you. Hebrews brings that out, doesn't it? The body must be laid down. We must sacrifice that to the Lord and trust in Him. Now, the second thing we do is in verse 22. We draw near to God, and then we have our hearts sprinkled with clean water. Not clean water. We have our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience that is within us. Now, what is that entailing? He said earlier that when a worshiper in the Old Testament brought an animal to be sacrificed, and the priest would slaughter that animal, sprinkle the bread, and the guy who brought it would turn around and leave, he would leave with a guilty conscience. Because that sacrifice just reminded him of his sin time after time after time. Every time he brought one, he was reminded of his sin then it says here that God, Christ was sacrificed one time. And in Christ, when you are forgiven, you are forgiven. And you turn around and you walk away with a guiltless conscience because your sin has been dealt with in Christ. So you don't bring a, a sin offering every year or every week or every month. Christ did it one time for you. That's all that it was needed. The blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse the conscience of a man, but the blood of Christ cleanses us and sets us free. You see that? And so Jesus is accomplishing great things by sprinkling our heart and setting us free from guilt. I have true peace now in Christ. Why? Because the Bible teaches me that I am accepted. You are accepted by God because of what Jesus did. Not because of you. Brother, if it was up to you and I, none of us would be accepted. Amen? But because of what Jesus did, we are now accepted. And by Jesus moving in, I can have that confidence and that guiltless expectation on God's terms. The third thing I want you to see there is we have our bodies washed clean with pure water. What is he talking about there? He's not talking about that up there in the baptistry. Okay? 
because I have uh, baptized people in some pretty nasty lakes. And that wasn't pure water. So if that's the case, this is about baptism, then those guys are in bad shape. But it's not about baptism. It's about God changing our lives. Changing us with pure water. Washing us with the word of God. Changing our life. It means a changed, rearranged, and cleansed life. It means that a thief stops stealing when he becomes a Christian. It means that a drunkard stops drinking when he becomes a Christian. It means that a liar stops lying when he becomes a Christian. You see, that's what it means to be cleansed, to be changed, to be rearranged by the Holy Spirit of God as He moves in to our life. The whole life is changed because why? We draw near to God. We learn to walk in the presence of a holy God. Remember, He goes with you everywhere you go. He hears everything you say. He knows everything you do. He knows your motives. He knows your heart. Man, you had better get it cleansed, amen? You better get it straightened out. We want that. What's next for us? In verse 23, after we draw near, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Hang on to what you know to be real. Hang on to what you know to be true. And he says, do it without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. Hold fast that confession. Tell the good news. Amen. That's the confession. Tell the good news. Look what Peter says in his first letter. Come on, slide. Here we go. 1 Peter 3, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What is he saying there? He says, live your life. Let me rephrase that. He's saying, let Christ live His life in you in such a way that when people badmouth you, ultimately they're put to shame because they know they lied. They lied about you. You're not that. You didn't do that. You didn't say that. Let Christ live His life through your body in such a way that when people talk about you, ultimately they are ashamed for it because they lied. You understand, that's what Paul Peter is telling us right there. So we hold fast the confession. What he did in you, he can do in someone else. Amen? What Christ did for you, he can do in someone else. Do you believe that? I believe what he did for me, he can do in anybody. And so, I have an obligation, responsibility, as Nathaniel told us, to tell the good news. To tell people about Jesus. To tell them about what He's done in my life. To speak out then. To remember 
uh, I'm sorry, remember that everybody doesn't know they're in a well. Amen? Your friends don't know they're in a well. Your friends don't know they're lost and undone. They would know it if they read the Ten Commandments and they would understand they're dirty, but the Ten Commandments can't help them. What do they need? They need the rope. And they need the winch. And they need a guide. And that is all found in Jesus Christ. The third thing that we can do is in verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I put to stir up one another. How can we do that? Well, number one, we can stop neglecting to meet together. All right? You hear me, church? Paul says it, or the writer of Hebrews says it. I keep saying it's Paul. It might be. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. You know, you are a part of this church body. And so when we, this church body gathers together and you are not here, a part of our body is missing. A part of our body is absent. We might need that part of our body during that service that you decided to stay home, that you decided not to come. If one hour a week is sufficing for you to come to church and experience God in this place and sing and worship and hear His Word, you will be overwhelmed in heaven. In fact, you will probably not enjoy it because it will be in the presence of God and His people 24. There won't even be time eternally. So, I'm saying you need to practice. We meet three times a week here at our church. Some of the ladies meet four times a week. The idea is to practice meeting together. Don't neglect that. Now there is something that needs to be said about the service that you are meeting at. It's to be, as we read in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And so there has to be a, an encouraging service. It has to be, we don't come together and argue. We don't want to come together and dispute. We don't want to come together and, and you sit over there and I'll never sit on that side of the church because they're here, and blah, blah, blah. We don't want that. That's a discouraging service. We want an encouraging service. We want to hear the Word of God. We want to sing praises to God. We want to hear prayers. We want to be able to give our tithes. We want to be able to meet together and encourage one another and stir up one another is what he's saying there. To stimulate one another, to stir it up. Not to stir the pot, but to stir each other. Amen. Amen. Towards goodness and kindness and love and grace. And I promise you on every pew in this building right now, there is a severe problem in the family of that person sitting there right now. Just look across this room. In every pew, there is trouble in family. Amen? Somebody on every pew needs somebody to love them, encourage them, give them hope, and help them through those times. Maybe that's you. How do you know that? You can't tell that in here, but we have Sunday school here at this church 
that might be something new for you. We have Sunday school. And in Sunday school, we're in a close-knit group. And we talk about things. We can talk about jobs and family. And, and we do that in my class. And there might be trouble in my Sunday school class. Somebody's having difficulty or problem. You know what? My class draws together and we pray and we build up and we lift and we care. You can't do that in here. But maybe you need somebody to pray for you or lift you up once in a while. Well, you have a Sunday school class at this church where you can meet and that will be taken care of for you. That's how that works. So I'm encouraging you, stop neglecting to meet together. And encourage one another, not discourage. Hear the word, receive it with the power into the heart of God. And the second thing, is we need to be aware of the time. It says in the end of the verse, And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day of the Lord. It's coming. We are close. I told the church Wednesday night in our Wednesday night Bible study about the Jews who are unbelieving in Jesus Christ, but they are talking about rebuilding the temple. It's in discussion right now in Israel. They are determining that they can build it alongside the Dome of the Rock, which is the Muslim headquarters, without violating either one and have God's temple there in Israel today. Did you know they're training men in Israel today to be a priest to start up again the sacrifice of animals on that rebuilt temple? It hasn't started yet, but they're talking about it. And God said back in the Old Testament, it's going to happen. The temple will be rebuilt. We've never lived in a generation closer than now about talking about the end times. We know it's close. We know it's coming. We are aware of the times that we live in. Amen? So all the more we should be encouraging one another, not discouraging each other, but encouraging. And why is all of that important? I want to say this, because that is the mark of a true Christian. That's the mark of a believer in God. Somebody who encourages Somebody who builds up. Somebody who loves and gives beyond. Somebody who lays down their life for Christ. Let me ask you, is that you? Have you laid down your life? Or are you just here to fill the time of an hour and 30 minutes and call it religion and call it Christianity? It goes way beyond that, brother. It goes way beyond that, sister. It's the laying down of our life to Jesus Christ. God moving in. You and I entering into that holy place of fellowship with that living God through the Spirit in our inner man. And when we do that, the results are tremendous. We have full assurance of faith. Right? We draw near to God. We encourage one another. We speak out the gospel. Come and do that today. Give him your heart on this altar and walk out of here a new person. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless this moment as we draw near to you for this invitation. And Lord, I know that many people are here contemplating what you have told them this morning from your word. Wondering even in themselves if they are truly your people. 
And Lord, I pray that you speak to their heart. Lord, I know that it's your desire not to run them off in fear, but to have them surrender to you, to have them step into the unknown, the great adventure of following Christ. I pray today, Father, that your spirit has his way and will in this room and that lives are changed even here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's